Hello everyone, welcome to Random Encounter 276 or 276. My name is John O'Logan and I have a new keyboard. Listen to this. Oh yeah, that's the good stuff. Oh yeah, mechanical. Oh, beautiful. Um, yeah, so I I grew up in a household that had an ergonomic keyboard. So basically I learned how to type uh, on an ergonomic keyboard. Uh, and I, you know, moved on to regular keyboards, but they never felt quite right for me. So over the years, I have moved back and forth between ergonomic keyboards, like the Microsoft Sculpt keyboard, uh, or the the Logitech, the recent Logitech ergonomic keyboard, and mechanical keyboards. I love the feel of a mechanical keyboard, but I love the layout of the uh, ergonomic. So Keychron, who is a fairly uh, popular mechanical keyboard company, a few years ago released an Alice layout uh, mechanical keyboard, which is split. It's not quite ergonomic. Uh, but it's it's similar, um, but it wasn't wireless. So they recently released this, which I think is the Q4, maybe it's the Q16 Pro, and it is amazing. It's Alice layout, it's wireless, and it has the number pad on the left-hand side, which at first I was like, that's dumb. And then I was like, wait a sec, that means I have all this room on the right-hand side for my mouse. This is brilliant. So I am extremely happy with this keyboard for so many reasons, primarily which is this. Oh yeah, that's the magic. Anyway, so uh, yeah, we're here for Random Encounter. We're going to talk about two very recent games that came out. And joining us today are Audra. Hello, hello. And Abe. Howdy there. How are you both doing? Have you acquired any uh, items, some rare items? Like if you're playing an RPG and you you know, you know get a keyboard in a, in a treasure chest and you hear the little do-do-do-do sound effect from Zelda. Has anything like that happened to you guys in the last few week- days? Uh, sadly, no. Just common loot. Mm, common loot. Oh no, no rare drops. Yeah, well, I just picked up a webcam for the first time. That's the that's the first webcam I ever bought. So uh, that's not bad. I figure it's probably time. <laughs> that's something that, that yeah. should come in useful eventually. I would think. I would hope so. Anyway, so let's uh, let's pick up. We have a lot to talk about today. So the first thing we're going to talk about is a. I guess you could describe it a bit of as a bit of an RPG sensation. So Baldur's Gate Three has been kind of. I don't know. It's been in the background the last few months. Uh, a lot of you know traditional or you know CRPG fans were really excited about it because it's the latest addition to the Baldur's Gate series, a very long time coming. But it didn't seem like it had a lot of mainstream appeal. And in fact, whenever it showed up in a uh, in a show, everyone kind of just seemed confused, and the response would be very muted. Like no one quite knew what this was. Memories weren't that long. They didn't really remember what Baldur's Gate was. Then it came out, and it has seems like it's taken the world by storm. Uh, it, it's rolled a it's rolled a, a twenty. I gotta say, in terms of the reception to this game, uh, everyone's raving about it. It's wonderful. I'm really glad that they pushed it a little bit further ahead because uh, it means it doesn't need to compete with Starfield. It has a little bit of breathing room. So uh, let me give you a quick little brief history of Baldur's Gate here. So Baldur's Gate was originally developed by BioWare. Well, I guess if you've played Mass Effect, you know BioWare. Um, And it is based on Dungeons & Dragons, specifically the city of Baldur's Gate in uh, the Dungeons & Dragons Forgotten Forgotten Realms campaign setting. It was released way back in 1998, so it is a fairly dated game. Uh, It's had a few different uh, iterations since. It had Baldur's Gate Gate 2. It uses the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons uh, rule set, so it's, it's very, very much a traditional... RPG. It's, you know, tabletop rules. You you have a party, you have a main character that you create, you explore a quest. It's an RPG. Um, and it's turn-based as well and overhead. So 
this was a very popular series and then it just kind of went away for a long time. And there were in the last few years, there were a lot of spiritual successors to it uh, that really took, you know, were, were very, very popular. But this Baldur's Gate 3, we're back and it's set in the same world. It's an official sequel and apparently it's fantastic. So Abe, obviously this is based on D&D. Uh, do you have any experience with the Baldur's Gate series and do you have any experience with, I guess, Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, I've only played the Baldur's Gate series a little bit. Uh like back when I was in college, which is uh, over a decade ago, let's say. Uh, but um, I played a little bit of Baldur's Gate 2. Um, I'd be lying if I say I remember much about it. Although, uh, I mean, I do remember Mints. You got you got to remember Mints skinned and uh, his uh, hamster boo. Like, <laughs> that's certainly uh, an iconic part of the series. And do they return Baldur's Gate 3? I don't know. <laughs> well, we'll find out soon, or you'll find out soon, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you have some experience with, uh, we have some experience with D&D. But I do have the experience with D&D, that's right. Um, I have, I've, you know, I uh, started playing D&D with the, the third edition, which is really uh, obtuse, <laughs> especially as you compare it to games that are made today. Um, but I, I've also played a bit with fifth edition. Uh, which is extremely intuitive. It's uh, like the perfect system for a video game, uh, especially one of the magnitude of Baldur's Gate 3. So um, that's, you know, a, a really exciting point. Like, you know, I literally took a character that I made for Dungeons and & Dragons and imported it, like, almost to the letter into Baldur's Gate 3. Yeah, so if you're a big Dungeons & Dragons fan, you got one of your favorite characters that you've that you've ever made, you can just import them right into the game um, and have some new adventures. <laughs> uh, an interesting thing about this, like you were saying, you have some experience with Baldur's Gate. The Baldur's Gate series one and two, um, I can't put this, I'm going to put this as kindly as I can. They are beloved games that are products of their time. Uh, there have been enhanced editions that have been released in the last few years, but they are very much based on the originals with a few quality of life upgrades, including some better graphics. But uh, if you play them, you're going to have to deal with some clunkiness. It's not going to be as smooth as, say, Pillars of Eternity, for example, or Divinity Original Sin. Uh, however, Baldur's Gate 3, from the sounds of it, very much follows the traditions of like Pillars of Eternity, where it's a modern-day interpretation of uh, the CRPG. You're not going to have to deal with a lot of really archaic... Uh, gameplay mechanics it's 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 a very modern game it doesn't feel dated at all does it Abe? that's right um well it's so uh, Baldur's Gate 3 is developed by Larian who mm -hmm. uh they previously developed the Divinity Original Sin series which is also extremely popular uh CRPG series it's uh it's more that they've finally got their triple A uh style big budget and and the Dungeons and Dragons license and pretty much applied the things that they were successful at doing with the divinity games and and just put it into Dungeons and Dragons world. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, you you know you could uh, make a case that Larian is kind of pushing into. Well, they definitely are pushing into Bioware's uh, former territory now. Yeah, well, since they have to. They literally sort of by took over the, really? literally took over Bioware's big series from. 20 years ago. I don't think that they're going to mind. I'm sure they're perfectly happy and busy working on uh, Mass Effect 4 or whenever, whenever <laughs> we might hear more about that at some point in the future. So. 
Yeah. So let's just talk about the overall experience of Baldur's Gate 3. So can you like you you start up the game, what happens? I, I think one of the most endearing things about Baldur's Gate 3 is that it's uh it's a very unique setup. Um I mean, once you you created your character and everything, um, you know, you wake up and uh talking to a few people, um, you discover that you have uh this uh, mind parasite. You you literally have brain worms. Brain oh. worms. Uh that's it's not a good situation. Um, so a mind flayer, anyway, is uh, this kind of uh, octopedal uh, sort of humanoid type of creature. Um, they got tentacles coming out of their face, and they speak with uh, through telepathy. And unfortunately for you, the way they re- reproduce is by putting these parasites into the heads of intelligent creatures, who eventually then will be turned into mind flayers themselves. Uh, that's not something that you want to happen. So, no. <laughs> uh, you know, you're so you're pretty much uh, under the gun a little bit at the beginning of the game uh, to try and find a cure, try and find a way to get this thing out of out of your head. It's a party member that you don't really want to have with you, except that it's it's more complicated than that. Um, you eventually find that there are there are some positives to having the parasite in your head. Uh, so, um, but yeah, anyway, um, at the beginning, at the beginning of the game, you're essentially on a a quest for healthcare. (laughs) (laughs) How appropriate for today's, they're they're really trying to make it relatable for today's audiences. Especially Uh, to Americans. Yeah. Yeah. Especially to Americans. Um, okay. Well, you mentioned that you were a big fan of the character creation process. How does that work in this? You mentioned you imported your actual D and D character. Uh, is it fun to create characters in this thing? Uh, well, you've got the whole uh, gamut of classes uh, in fifth edition, which, um, you know, uh, Baldur's, the the first two Baldur's Gate games were made with the, the third edition of uh, of uh, DNT. Um, <laughs> they, you know, there was about like half a dozen uh, races, and there's a decent number of classes. But uh, in fifth edition, like they they just uh, exploded the number of, of of options available to you for creation. Um, so you know you have you know dozens dozens of classes to choose from, uh, some of the more uh, colorful races to choose from, like the Dragonborn, which is the one the one I chose, uh, but also the the Drow, which are kind of a popular like sort of a dark elf type of uh, of uh, uh, people. Um, so like you don't have a ton of like there's not a ton of uh, options for like creating their appearance necessarily but you do have you know you have endless options for creating uh you know the the type of character that you want to be well i mean you mentioned that it uh it uses the d and it uses the dnd uh 5e rule set or fifth edition rule set um character creation is obviously a significant part of uh, what why a lot of people really really enjoy dnd um how well does the rule set integrate into the gameplay like how like let's just let's say you've never played You've never played Dungeons and Dragons before. You've never played Baldur's Gate before. You sit down. You're going to start playing Baldur's Gate three. You're said it uses the fifth edition rule set. What does that mean to you? Uh, thankfully, uh, thankfully, by, uh, the uh, the game offers a quick rundown on the fifth edition rule set. Um, you know, uh, it's it's nice having the the breadth of options in fifth edition, but I think the most uh, daunting thing for people who sit down and try to play Dungeons and Dragons is soaring through like you know. A uh, hundred pages or so of of potential options for uh, how to build out their character, 
what spells they want to pick, what skills they want to pick, and all that stuff. Um, thankfully, a lot of the the stuff about rolling dice and stuff is is automated in yeah. uh, in Baldur's Gate three. So um, it you know this definitely appeals to a more uh, casual experience, <laughs> uh, less uh, less bookkeeping. Um, but you do. You know, if you don't have any experience with Dungeons and Dragons at all, you do kind of need uh, to know a little bit about, you know, how certain things work, like, you know, a reaction, action, a reaction attack. Um, uh, how many, you know, you had to think a little bit about, like, how many dice you're throwing for uh, certain spells and, and things like that, which mm-hmm. sounds like that's the extremely nerdy part of Dungeons and Dragons, I suppose. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, thankfully, a lot of that stuff is automated, but you still have to think about it a little bit. I mean, obviously, when people think Dungeons and Dragons, they think rolling dice for checks, they instantly think combat. So yeah. the game, the combat in this game is turn-based. Uh, how does it work? Uh, I mean, it, it pretty much exa- works exactly how Dungeons and Dragons would work, uh, except that um, you're usually... Th- there's not a lot of, uh, like, smaller random combats. There's uh, usually these these giant... Uh, areas that you're doing you're fighting in with uh, dozens of combatants like a, a lot of the times you have some people that you're fighting with against like a, a massive enemy mm-hmm. uh, army <laughs> so um, it's it's a little bit different in that way there um, and there's a lot of emphasis on height um, a lot of your battles will take place on cliffs or uh, higher levels than than the enemies or Maybe they're on a higher level than you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I think it's, it's essentially taking the experience of Dungeons and Dragons combat and just kind of blowing it up, uh, uh, getting as creative with it as, as they could. Um, okay. But, you know, you have you have dozens of spells and skills at your disposal, uh, which, you know, you've carefully cultivated, hopefully, <laughs> in, mm-hmm. uh, as you've uh, as you've leveled up. Um, so there's, you know, there's a lot of tactical options to open to you. It's, it's almost just like a, you know, like a tactical RPG. In, in a lot of oh, ways. interesting. Ooh, okay. So I'm it's, mu- yeah. So it's much more, let's say deliberate than, uh, a JRPG, for example. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, it's pretty, it's actually a pretty big de- departure from the original Baldur's Gate three or the original Baldur's Gate games, which were done with the, the infinity engine. Um, the real-time action with pause. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there have been there are some people who have been critical of the of the change, but um, you know it's it's very intuitive. Uh, it's it's easy to use. Um, I I think it it would appear to appeal to more casual players, um, which probably is why it's contributing to its you know massive popularity on the internet. I think a lot of people were really concerned that it was going to be very, very complicated, and it sounds like it's much more user-friendly than many expected. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. Um, alongside, you know, you have, obviously, you're rolling in battle, but you're also rolling in the world itself for, let's say, survival checks or things like that. How does the game handle it? Yeah, there's a lot. You, you'll, um, you know, just be walking along and you'll hear the dice rolling in the background. Uh, oh, no. and it'll say oh you filled the check and it's like i don't even know what i was looking for <laughs> uh, <laughs> um but the uh a lot of the a lot of the fun uh checks come in uh conversation um there's a lot of ways that you can try to uh deceive or or persuade uh the other people you're talking to um it's uh the 
the world of Faerun, where Baldur's Gate 3 takes place, is uh, it's pretty hostile to you. A lot of people are clued into the fact that you have a mind flare parasite in, the, in your head, so they might not they might not trust you very much. Hmm. Um, and a lot of the a lot of the characters also have their own motivations, so you might not trust them very much either. Um, but uh, yeah, um, you know when when you do a check like a, a persuasion check or something, um, uh, it'll flip to a screen where it shows rolling the die, the twenty sided die. Um, It'll show the number that you have to reach, and if you hit it, then you succeeded. And if you if you uh, roll too low, then obviously you failed. Hmm. Um, but you know that that dictates a lot of the course of the actual game <laughs> of the actual story. So uh, you know, it's sometimes it's interesting to see what happens if you fail. <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the more interesting moments in D anD D happen when your party fails a check that they need to. Um, I mean, I know, for example, uh, Amanda's a huge fan of uh, Critical Role, and uh, there's a there's a running theme that they constantly fail uh, unlocking doors uh, checks and things like that. So that's just that's just the way that D and D works. <laughs> yeah, um, sometimes some of the the best moments happen when you fail something that you're really supposed to <laughs> succeed at, especially when it's like super obvious, and you're like, "This is going to be easy," and then you roll in that one, you're like, "Oh no!" Yeah. Um, um, I had there was a moment uh, where I was playing D and D with my friends, and the dungeon master had set uh, had set it up for you know my party member to have this big moment where he he uh, harnessed the power of his uh, I think his Thor Thor infused hammer, um, and of course he he rolled a one, which is a critical failure. <laughs> so he, the, the dungeon master master was setting this up for this to be this bit this monumental moment for. Uh, for my friend's character and total failure, total failure. <laughs> uh, we, I think we laughed for a good five minutes. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think part of the fun about being a DM would be uh, to describe just how big the failure is when yeah. you roll in that one. <laughs> yeah. And he explained all that after, after the guy rolled the one. And um, so he said, okay, so you, well, you, you try to raise the hammer and you end up tripping and the hammer falls on your head and you knock yourself out. <laughs> so um, that's classic. That, like is the fun of D and D really. Yes. And theoretically is also the fun of Baldur's Gate three. Um, yeah. So obviously one of the differences that CRPGs and JRPGs have is generally speaking is the way that your character can change the world around them. Player choice is a massive thing in CRPGs. Um, and Baldur's Gate 3 apparently just offers a ridiculous amount of player choice, not just the you know creation, character creation, but your personality, uh, the way the world re uh, reacts around you. Uh, what are some of the examples of uh, the best player choices that you've come up to yet? And how, uh, how do uh, dialogue checks and things like that, how are they handled? Uh, I think the funny thing about Baldur's Gate 3 is that... Um, there, there certainly is player choice. Uh, they've, uh, Laren set up this, this world that's extremely hostile to you. <laughs> um, a lot of, a lot of the times the, the choices you have to make are between two extremely terrible choices. Uh, it's, it's going to deteriorate your, uh, deteriorate your situation either way. Uh, you're going to, uh, sign away your life into, into bad contracts. Uh, <laughs> You're gonna ally yourselves with the worst people, um, but 
you know, there's no alternative. I mean, there's no better option. You're really just picking how do you want your life to get worse? <laughs> uh, so um, if you, you know, if you have a self-deprecating sense of humor like I do, then, uh, you know, you, you can just laugh at the, the stupid things that your character continually does. <laughs> the best RPG is just like life. It's every single day. It's like, how am I going to f*** this up? <laughs> exactly. Uh, someone, I did see someone on Twitter or some social media site uh, compare it to a Disco Elysium. Just mm. a, a game where you continually make the continually make the worst choices that you possibly can, and see how your life deteriorates into <laughs> a stupor. <laughs> There's uh, a lot of situations where you're not quite sure uh, what reality is. Um, there's a character again, who, how like life? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who uh, you know when you go back to your camp at night, uh, sometimes you have dreams, and it's not totally certain, you know, how much of this is a dream. And there's a character who comes to you in the dream and says that uh, they're trying to help you. Um, but considering the fact that your mind is deteriorating because you have a mind parasite, you have a, a parasite in your head, <laughs> uh, it's you're not really sure if you can trust the, this person <laughs> hmm. or if it's um, or if they're even real or if it's or just if they're a, a person. Dream. Yeah. Um I think that one of the things that really does in, in real life and in uh, RPGs, one of the th things that contributes to poor decision-making are your friends. Um, so there are lots and lots of companions uh, in this game to build your party. Uh, what are some of the companions that you've met thus far? And uh, do you have any favorites, least favorites? Uh, well, all of, all of the companions are excellent. Um, the, the, the writing in this game is just top notch. Um, mm. And, and uh the dialogue is is absolutely brilliant um all the all of the the companions that you pick up are pretty complex characters uh they all have a a dark side to them uh and it's it they tend to be pretty dark um but typically when you first meet the companion you know if you meet a person in real life they're Hopefully, not going to spill all their dark, terrible secrets to you at once. <laughs> we uh, hope, unless unless you're a therapist or something, um, or you're on the subway at a particular hour of the evening. <laughs> yeah, or at the library. At the library. <laughs> okay, I guess uh, I guess I was wrong about that. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> librarians uh, anyway. and bartenders and therapists—they're all really—it's the same job, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I think definitely one of my early favorites was uh, Asterian. Uh, so. It, this is probably going to get a little bit spoilery here, but um, I don't know. There's been a lot of stuff about him on the internet already, so it's okay. We'll, uh, we'll, people we'll, might we'll set off the uh, the. Okay, I'm, I'm introducing a new thing. It's going to be the spoiler chocobo. Um, I'll have to find a really good chocobo <laughs> sound effect that's different from our swearing chocobo sound effect. Yeah. So th th this will appear right now. <laughs> I don't know what it will be yet, but it will appear right now. Okay. So spoiler spoiler warning now. Yeah. So. Uh... Um, Assyrian's like a, a rogue, and um, uh, when you meet him, you you discover that he's uh, uh, he used to be like a, a city like government official. Um, he's a little bit pale, and uh, your first interaction with him, he he puts a knife to your throat. Uh, thankfully, if you're able to talk him down, uh, he'll join your party. Uh, but you eventually find out, uh, not because he tells you, but because he tries to take a certain action against you. <laughs> um, you find out that he's, he's a vampire, uh, actually a vampire spawn. 
So that's why he's able to, he's, you know, he's basically like a, a provisional vampire. He's not like a full vampire. So um, he basically gets the, you know, the, the blood hunger, but, and he can still walk around during the day, but he doesn't get any special benefit from, from actually feeding or he doesn't have any special powers. He's just, <laughs> is it eventually, essentially just a <laughs> He's just a dude. Yeah. Uh, Some guy who needs to drink blood. But if uh, um, if you've uh, read Dracula or seen any of the movies, he's extremely similar to the character uh, Renfield, uh, where ah. he's he's uh, he's pledged his life to uh, you know this uh, his master vampire uh, involuntarily, <laughs> um, and so he doesn't really like it, and he kind of wants out. But hmm. uh, so the. But the, par- the, the, the the parasite gives him a slight break from uh, his master's uh, thrall. So, you know, that's like a, an example of like the complexity of, of the situations in this game. Like he, he actually sees the parasite as a, a good thing in some aspects because he's, he's finally free of hearing his master's voice in his head all the time. Anyway, hmm. uh, so, uh, but like, you know, all the characters have these deep, dark secrets like this where you're... Uh, a little bit scared of them once you find that out, <laughs> once you find out what their secret is. Um, and you're not so sure that you want to, <laughs> not so sure that how, how far you want to take, uh, you know, their personal quests, but um, you're all, you're all joined by a common, uh, a common thread uh, that you all have a parasite in your head. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so you might as well go together <laughs> to try and uh, try and figure things out. Neat. I think that most, most people in, okay, let's just say Bioware RPGs, because that's where it originated, are, you know, the, the I guess the, the deep storytelling nature of it usually comes out of the relationships with companions, because your character is usually kind of a cipher. It's, you know, it's, it's your character, you design it. So deep characterization needs to come from them. So the fact that there are so many shades of gray in this game uh, is interesting to me. Um, something that I'd like to ask you about is the game's graphical presentation because i mean yes it was released in 1998 but the original baldur's gate baldur's gate 2 the infinity engine games are not even at the time they were not known for their graphical prowess shall we say the graphics were more in service of the gameplay and the story um and they were also overhead so uh you know very similar in look anyway to like you know, Diablo, that kind of thing, even if the, the mechanics are very, very different. Um, that being said, Baldur's Gate 3 and the screenshots and the uh, footage I've seen, really, it looks good. It yeah. looks really good, even though it Absolutely. is still overhead uh, an overhead uh, perspective. So uh, how is the game's presentation, including like the graphics and cutscenes and stuff like that? I mean, you can also certainly play from, uh, you know, like from an over-the-shoulder view if you want to. And uh, okay. since the game's coming to the PS5, I imagine that's probably how most people playing on the P- PS5 will actually play it. Interesting. Um, but you know, if you compare it to like like the Dragon Age games, it's it's which you know were done by Bioware. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I'd say it's it's pretty similar in uh, in presentation, except you know this is a, a modern AAA game, so um, they certainly spared no expense on uh, making the game, especially the characters, look good. Um, you know, all the uh, the animations are, are motion capture. Um, I'm I'm not sure the faces, the facial expressions are, but the the facial expressions are pretty good. Uh, I mean, they're they're pretty dynamic. Um, mm. 
and the characters use a lot of body a lot of body language to help uh, convey their uh, their feelings and their mood. You know, the battles especially are 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 pretty fun to watch as well. There's a lot of you know you're using a lot of magic effects. Um, the magic effects are pretty uh, spectacular, and you know you're constantly constantly just seeing these light bursts like fly across the screen and such. So the game is the game is surprisingly a bit of a looker. Yeah, I mean you know if you could compare it to any any triple a game that's out now um it's it even looks you know it's even a, a lot uh, a big step up even from like the divinity games yeah um Larian, pretty, yeah but you know yeah obviously uh wizards of the coast uh <laughs> gave larian a, a long leash <laughs> uh to do uh what they wanted to with the game and it's obviously paid off because uh because you know everyone is recognizing how you know just what a great production this game is um, I mean, not for nothing but it sounds like this is the first actual good thing that wizards of the coast has done it coast has done in like years in, maybe? in terms of video games yeah for sure um like they've been they, they've not gotten particularly good press in the last few years let's put it that way <laughs> uh but you know it's not just the you know the graphics that they 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 went out all out on they um that you know they got pretty good like pretty name like voice talent um mm. J.K. Simmons is uh, plays one of the villains, <laughs> uh, whom you've uh, seen in like Spider Man, <laughs> and uh, um, they got uh, Maggie Portal Robertson, too. who was uh, who did Lady Dimitrescu in uh, Resident Evil, mm-hmm. um, that Resident Evil Village. Uh, so they they splurged a bit, it seems, on uh, just making this like the best presentation they could. I think that one of the reasons why they were able to do that is, and it sounds like this is the game is just outstandingly polished, uh, is because this was actually released in early access. I think it, it came out last year. I think in early access, or maybe uh, two even years earlier ago. Than, um, two years 2000, ago, two thousand twenty. I think actually twenty twenty. It, wow. it was actually right. It was actually right before I joined a RPG fan. So oh oh, well, that's a nice barometer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it's been in early access for, well, forever. Um, and you were playing it in early access. Uh, one of the things that I guess some people thought it was controversial. I don't really think so that your your progress in early access couldn't transfer over to the main game. And part of the reason for that was the main game. The full game was so much bigger uh, than the early access. And they've done so much to build upon that. Uh, how do you think early access impacted the overall experience having played both of them? Oh, uh, I mean, I think it was good for them to iron the bugs out, essentially. I mean, especially in the early area. Um, I would say that my second run through the game wasn't particularly substantially different um, in that opening area. And that's, you know, that's like probably 20 to 30 hours of gameplay. <laughs> Which for another game would be the game. The game, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, um, I would say that I wasn't... There were there were some improvements in presentation and such, um, especially uh, one companion had a much cooler introduction than um, he did previously, um, and you could have honestly just passed over that character and not even noticed that he was there <laughs> uh, ah. in, in early access. Um, uh, but yeah, for the most part, um, it was it was a little I don't know. It was a little irritating to have to having to spend another, you know, thirty hours doing the same thing. But the positive thing is, like, you know, the character I, I used in the early access game, um, I I picked a completely different class and a different race for my character because 
the stuff I used in the um, in my current run was actually not available um, at the time. So you know, but I had the benefit of being able to make completely different decisions this time around and see you know just how deep like the level of uh, choices, I suppose, and and um, the uh, the vast like myriad of ways that uh, different situations can play out if uh, depending on uh you know who you decide to ally yourself with um how you decide to go about uh completing your tasks and such so you know there there is a benefit to it as well but mm. if i mean i'm i'm sure that people who who played it in early access are are probably through <laughs> the the early part uh again by now but um actually i'm curious about how you play the game because right now there's a bit of a controversy about safe scrumming um which is uh, I guess you could describe it as a, a, an old way to play games uh, in which before every check, you would save your game. Uh, you would do a quick save. So if the check did not turn out as you wished, you could roll back and do it again. Now, on the one hand, this does sort of go against the nature of uh, Dungeons and Dragons or, you know, you, you don't you don't really get any rollbacks like that. But on the other hand, it's a video game. How are you playing it? Oh, I'm I'm safe's coming. Yeah, for sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the you know it's it's a difficult game. Um, especially the the battles are difficult. Um, there's uh, it the game definitely doesn't hold your hand and tell you where you should be going next. Uh, it doesn't tell you okay, you need to be this level to take on this quest or anything like that. So there's a lot of times you can walk into a situation where you're completely underpowered and you have no chance. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's a good idea to save. Uh, a lot <laughs> um yeah. and like there are you know if you roll bad on some uh checks and conversations there are some pre- pretty bad consequences that you really don't want to <laughs> you really don't want to deal with if um if you roll low um mm-hmm. it's you know that's that's a way in which the game is not like dungeons and dragons where the dm can come up with a you know a funny situation if you if you critically miss on uh, an important conversation moment <laughs> so I mm. I don't have any problem with saves coming. I, I've done it. <laughs> uh, I've saved in the in the middle of conversations in the game because, like, you know, I had to go do something. <laughs> I, I have no problem with with saves coming. I mean, you play the game however you want to, you know. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, sometimes in an uh, ideal world, that's how we all play video games. Yeah. In fact, but uh, you know, in some instances, I I did just let the dice fall where they where they did and and just went with it just to see what happened. Mm. I think on subsequent with play playthroughs if i if i do play through this again which i i think i do want to um i'm not sure i would do that because i'd be trying to get certain outcomes but mm. but you know on the first playthrough you know do it you know do whatever you want to you know <laughs> just play the game how you want to <laughs> yeah it seems to me that there i mean there's potential for uh making that a gameplay mode more so than a feature in future updates for the title where you can disable that even as an option I don't think there's uh, currently like an Iron Man mode or, or anything on this yet, but I mean, you know, there could be. I mean, there's you can also play on like the story mode if you want to if you're uh, if you're not interested in getting getting hammered by the enemies. So, mm. I mean, there's there's a lot of potential here for future updates, including DLC stuff like that. What would you like to see in future uh, if they're going to be releasing DLC or patches or things? What would you like to see? Uh, well, there's not. I don't think there's much they can add from like the, the fifth edition. Like the, this, this almost was like a, 
just a, a massive patch to the the early access version, <laughs> um, mm. adding on the rest of the story. Um, uh, uh, probably, uh, I think the biggest thing might be you know a- adding in more characters from the uh, the original Baldur's Gate and uh, Baldur's Gate one and two. Um, the uh, the the callbacks to the game from uh, from Baldur's Gate three are are pretty good, um, mm-hmm. but you know there were like like twenty some companions or so that you could you could pick up in Baldur's Gate one and one and two mm-hmm. that 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 might be on the low side. There might be more than that actually. Um, you're limited to about ten companions in this game, so arguably um, a more know, manageable if, number. Yeah, if you could add in like any of those, uh, you know, I would expect they would want to call back to the the original games a little bit more, add more more characters from those games. Mm-hmm. I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if that's if they do have DLC plans if that's what they're planning. I mean, it would be smart. It would cater to a uh, it would cater to a certain category of player, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, personally, I have I'm midway through uh, Divinity Original Sin right now. I've been playing with Amanda forever. We really got off track uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, yeah. We really need to get back on it again. Uh, and I I have copies of Baldur's Gate one, two, and three. Um, I would like to play the series because it is a massive gap in my RPG history. Uh, and as I understand it, the first couple are a little bit rough to get through if you are expecting uh, a certain level of modern uh, bells and whistles. But we'll see. So I, I'm going to give those a shot at some point in the future because they are, it's a gap. It's a gap in my knowledge and I want to fill it in. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there definitely are callbacks in Baldur's Gate 3 to... Uh, one and two that you know i i think if you've if you are coming into Baldur's gate three and you haven't played either of those games you can kind of recognize that uh you're supposed to know who this person is um i think it gives you enough of an introduction or a reintroduction to those characters mm-hmm. that you're not going to miss anything uh but i would think for longtime fans who have that familiarity um That'll, you know, those are probably pretty fun moments to to see some of those characters again. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things about Baldur's Gate three, um, mm-hmm. the the developers really dug into like pulling out the weirdest characters and the weirdest uh, creatures and um, locations that they could find. Uh, you spend a, a significant portion of the game in the Underdark, uh, which is like this kind of underground land uh, that. You know, it's fully developed. Like there are civilizations uh, around, there are people groups there, but it's also extremely dangerous. Uh, the dark itself is is dangerous, and there are scary things that lurk in the dark, of course. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, there's there's so many weird things. Like um, there's like a, a like a mushroom people <laughs> uh, who you have to uh, work with a little bit, or or kill if you want to. I mean. Uh, there's a lot of killing in this game it's you know it's not uh sounds like uh, it has a lot of freedom in it it does um but you know i think the biggest thing is that uh for maybe not the biggest thing but a a big thing is that um it's kind of restored the sense of like awe and wonder that i i used to have for uh western fantasy uh settings that i haven't really had in a very long time um, you know, probably since like the original uh, Lord of the Rings movies, <laughs> which is a long time ago. Um, they, you know, it, it's this, uh, you know, the stuff is just so unique and 
uh, just so rich <laughs> that um, it's it's just incredibly impressive what they were able to ac- accomplish with uh, the D and D license. I think that it's from everything I've read, everything that you've said, it just sounds like a massive win. Now yeah. your review isn't out yet because it's like a two hundred hour game. Um, uh, if you want it to be. So yeah. uh, when your review is released, I'll update the uh, review uh, with, I'll update the uh, show notes with the review. But at your current place, what do you think? Uh, what do you, where are you thinking in general uh, in terms of a, let's just assign it a score. What the heck? Um, it's, it's definitely a monumental game. Um, I would say that uh, there's, there's unfortunately like a number of bugs, um, especially like the further you get, like, like that, that the area that you played in in early access is extremely polished. Uh, I would hope because you know they've had several years. It's been out. They've had several years to work on it. Uh, the further you get into it, there are a number of bugs. Um, and with like isometric RPGs, you'll get bugs like uh, you know not being able to highlight certain items for some reason. Um, mm. You know, stutters and battles and such. Um, there has been like a few like really really bad ones uh where i was unable to complete certain quests uh some of them like very important quests uh so um and i would say that uh i believe the final third of the game where where i am right now mm-hmm. um i would say it's it's a little bit less uh, maybe the shine has worn off a little bit it's uh it's a little less exciting the maybe the the quests are a little more generic um but it's still like it's still an incredible experience, um, and one that I think you know any RPG fan should enjoy uh, playing through. <laughs> um, Excellent. I guess if I had to give it a score right now, it'd probably be a ninety-two ish. Yeah. So editor's choice. Editor's choice. I mean, easily. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. Um, well, thank you for you know, thank you for plowing through this game because there is a so so much of it. It's just it's such a big game um it's a it's from what i can tell it's one of the purest examples of a quote-unquote rpg that's been released in the last few years and there have been some other games released in the last few weeks that have played on the concept of what a role-playing game is and one of them i've been super excited about because well it's right there in the title it's called stray gods the role-playing musical uh obviously i am a big musical fan uh with a a lot of background in music theater. Um, and Audra, you recently reviewed this game. Um, so as far as I can tell, it's a musical game that revolves around a modern day interpretation of Greek mythology crossed with musicals. So, I mean, it looks a little bit brighter than Hades town, but uh, <laughs> why don't you talk to us a little bit about it and how these two uh, topics cross over in Stray Gods? Well, it's basically, it starts out... Um... Grace is a singer. She's just out of. She just dropped out of college, and <laughs> it sounds like you're. That sounds like the beginning of a Billy Joel song for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's in a band with her friend Freddie and two other guys, and they're. Wow, um, it does sound like a Billy Joel song. <laughs> it does, kind of. I mean, it's about her finding her place and stuff. Yeah. So, in a way, it almost it fits kind of for a musical storyline mm-hmm. pretty well, but she ends up meeting this mysterious woman named Calliope who turns out then later on comes to her apartment and is dead or dying at the moment. And she gains, it turns out Calliope was the last living muse. Mm -hmm. 
So she inherits her powers because she just happens to be there when she died. And she's going to get killed by the the leaders of the Greek gods, the chorus, because they think that she's the one who murdered Calliope just to steal her powers. But they Mm -hmm. give her about a week to prove that she didn't. So that's kind of the gist of the entire story is that she has this week to prove to everybody that she's innocent, Mm -hmm. so that she can keep living. I mean, that's a pretty good motivation. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the inciting incident of the game. So Calliope dead, you get the powers. Um, How does that evolve? Like, obviously, there's a certain, I guess, it's a visual novel crossed with a uh, role-playing game, crossed with a musical. Uh, How Mm -hmm. does the music, the musical aspect play into the uh, role-playing side of the game? Well, because... um... Because she is a muse, she ends up being a singer originally. She, her powers bleed through in song. Mm-hmm. So whenever Grace activates her powers or gets upset and they kind of run amok, it'll turn everything around her into a musical number. <laughs> so they end up going into these like really outlandish. At first, like it starts off soft and slow and. Then it's like these, they evolve into like these huge numbers where like just this myriad of like fantastical things start happening in them. And I mean, they kind of comment on it in the game because she's like, why is everyone singing? And why is, (laughs) what happened to this? Why is there a stage now? (laughs) And stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of like, it's an interesting take on the genre. I mean, it's basically her combat power is literally music. Mm. So... In your review, you you talk a lot about how uh, this game adapts certain RPG mechanics uh, that we are very familiar with. One, of course, being uh, the Bioware speech wheel, where you have different personality traits. Yes. Um, how does that work in the game? Like, how does it uh, how does it contribute to the storyline? Does it play into uh, how musical numbers are handled? Yes, there is. Um, there's three key personality traits that you. In the beginning, you can actually choose one of them to have as like a dominant trait for Grace, and then you get that op. You can option that, that um, like she has one that's I think charis- charisma, mm-hmm. and then you can get access to any of the charisma options that come up in regular conversation. But in the song numbers, she has access to all three of them, mm-hmm. and that plays that differentiates how the songs play out. Oh, so every time she has like a new lyric shift, you can actually shift the like the tone of the song. You can make it be more aggressive or more thoughtful or see that's really, really cool. And it's I think it's a smart way of building in that role playing uh mechanic of, you know, directing the directing your character uh, in a musical way. I like mm-hmm. that a lot, actually. Yeah, and I mean the soundtrack it's I think it's like over four hundred variations. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of music. Mm-hmm. How is the music? It's pr- it's quite excellent. I really like the song, the musical numbers in general. Just were fantastic, and I mean they're kind of just they're either great from a serious angle or they kind of are more making fun of stuff. <laughs> like there's a you have to help the Minotaur um, secure a date with Hecate mm-hmm. at one point, and it goes into this love song that's just like hilarious about how he's actually a really sensitive person (laughs) (laughs) that's nice Mm -hmm. are you a greek mythology fan yes yeah i am too um and the fact that they 
I guess there have been a, a number of recent big name things, both in video games and musicals, like I said, Hades Town, but also let's just, I mean, Hades, uh, that have presented the gods in a very, uh, let's just call them hot way. Um, I'm curious, uh, the art style of Stray Gods, I really, really like it. It's, it's, it's very much, well, comic book visual novel style. Um, but how do they update the visuals of the gods so they are both, you know, modern day, they are, you know, it is obviously set today. So they are modern day interpretations of the gods while still being identifiable as those gods. Like Apollo, he kind of comes across as, at this point, he's very much kind of, I guess I'd say tired and depressed over his abilities and because his prophecy powers just do not play out very well for him mm. in the long run. <laughs> so he's sort of like this bohemian hippie guy who's like, who looks like he should be the life of a party, but is actually just depressed. Sad himbo. Sad himbo, <laughs> yes. And uh, Persephone, they do that she's, um, she became like a really strong, uh, pretty much like a criminal leader, <laughs> criminal oh. underworld leader. I love her redesign about imagining because I've seen her variations so much in different stuff like Laura Olympus and everything. And I feel like they took a very different approach to her character. Mm. The, uh, yeah, the visual style of this game, it looks really, really cool. I mean, it looks like a visual novel. Uh, it mm -hmm. looks like a comic book, but clearly it's, it's a lot more, uh, there are a lot more movement than a comic book. Um, and like you said about the, uh, the music and the voice acting and the singing and stuff like that. One, I mean, Laura Bailey is playing Grace. Uh, uh, famously, you know, she's she's a incredible voice actor, uh, one of the one of the many talented folks on Critical Role, um, and uh, she has a great singing voice. Uh, you can hear it in uh, well, I mean, Critical Roles, both of Critical Roles theme songs. Um, what stands out about her performance as Grace? And are there any other performances in the game that really make you go, "Ooh, this person is doing such a good job"? Ooh, um, Carrie Payton as Pan. He is excellent. Mm -hmm. Actually, I love pretty much all of the different. I mean, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn is um, Persephone, and she does a fantastic job. Mm -hmm. And Laura Bailey, she just she captures so well just the different variations the songs can take on. Because you can have Grace's personality be very different depending on how you choose to respond. Or mm. so yeah, you could actually you can punch someone in the face at one point, or you can do something else. With you know, and so she actually manages to really sell all of the different facets of Grace. I think. Mm. Yeah, she. Uh, from what I've heard, she has done a remarkable job in this game. Um, I'm going to go back to Greek mythology just because I like Greek mythology an awful lot. Um, so you talk in the review a little bit about how they put some more modern day spins on classic Greek myths. Uh, can you tell us about some of those? Well, definitely with the myth of Persephone, they kind of go into a, they kind of just take out the, I think, overly romanticized version of it. Yeah, I mean, there's not much romance in the story from a modern day point of view. Yeah, they um, they pretty much go into it that it was a forced abduction and she really is angry over how the other gods viewed it and stuff. I mean, she's just, she's pretty much a ball of anger in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. but it's understandable. Yeah. Given what she went through. Yes. Being kidnapped and sent to the underworld. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Medusa is also a character in this. 
Medusa as a character, and they do a really good job of showcasing her being monstrous, but then also saying, well, at the same time, she it sort of happened because she wasn't able, she was blamed for something that she didn't really have any fault in. Context is everything. So they kind of go into that she doesn't really want to do a lot of the stuff that she does, but that she she kind of can't control herself because of what happened to her. Hmm. Um, and they even do like the um, Apollo has an oracle, you know, like the Oracle of Delphi, but then she's a hacker in this one. Okay. Which makes, you know, sense in a modern day context. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to what I said about the gods being hot. Um, so there is some potential romance options, like in most, like in a lot of RPGs, there are some romance options. How do romance options work in this? Pretty much if you're at all familiar with how the Bioware conversation wheel goes. Mm-hmm. There's a little romance prompt that you can pick for your different dialogue options. And that helps you initiate romances. And then you get, you can actually like play, you'll even get like a, a romance song with the character at some point. And depending on how that plays out, that could either deepen the relationship or cause it to kind of stall. So it's pretty interesting, just, but it's very, it's very similar to a Bioware game if you. Like I'd say probably Dragon Age 2 or Inquisition. Yeah, it sounds like they took out, I guess, well, obviously the combat. It's This sounds like a very, very dialogue-driven uh, RPG. Yes. That has obviously a tremendous number of visual novel elements to it. Um, as someone who is a visual novel fan, and I believe a musical fan, um, does it scratch the itch for both of those things? I would say so. I actually think it's a very solid visual novel and quite an enjoyable musical. Well, that's really nice to hear and something that is, I mean, it's, it's on my Steam wish list. It's been on my Steam wish list for quite some time. Um, I don't think I'll buy it now because I have, well, it's based on the earlier part of this episode. Apparently I have the entirety of Baldur's Gate to get through, <laughs> um, but it is something that I would like to, yeah, it is something that I would like to play. I mean, both visual novels and musicals, both of them are notoriously they have their fans, and let's just say they have their haters as well. Some people just do not seem to connect with visual novels, and they just reject the concept of musical theater. Uh, like a, it's a physical reaction. Um, you don't. This this would not be a game for them. Probably not. Right? No. No, you have to like musicals and you have to like visual novels, I think. It doesn't seem like the most... Actually, it seems like a very accessible game if you like those two things. But if you're not mm-hmm. a fan of those two things, it's not a game you really should play, probably. No, I, it's not going to change your mind on that. Now, who would you recommend Stray Gods to? Anyone who is a VN fan and a musical fan. And someone who actually... An RPG fan who doesn't maybe doesn't need the combat to be part of it. Yeah. Someone who likes the exploring the citadel part of Bioware games. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, let's let's just move on now to our discussion question because that's a pretty good place to move over because I think that musical musical episodes in television are super super popular. They've I I, I, I wrote my uh, my for my masters my big project was was analyzing every television episode I could possibly get my hands on that was musical. Uh, some of them are very good, like let's just say. Uh, once more, a feeling from Buffy. Some of them are astoundingly bad. Like there's a Seventh Heaven episode that's a musical, and it's one of the most painful things I've ever had to watch in my life. Not that the show is particularly <laughs> easy to watch anyway, but um, 
recent, most recently, there was a full-blown musical episode of Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds, which was awesome, I thought. I thought they did a really, really good job of it. Um, I guess the discussion question that I have for both of you is, what is an RPG that you think would make a fantastic musical? Like the storyline, the characters, not necessarily the music that's already in the game, but like the framework that's there. What do you think? Do you think it would make for a good musical? Uh, well, since uh, since we're remaking it in several forms already, why not Final Fantasy VII? <laughs> uh, you know, um, you could have the honeybee and wet the whistle, I, and you just want the whole thing now. I, I think uh, when you're fighting Sephiroth, he, he's going to be singing all the all the vocal parts. Uh, I think you'll have a band of Sephiroths playing all the instruments <laughs> that are uh, uh, during during the one winged angel. Um, mm-hmm. I would say that. I think every every character should have a musical role, except except Cloud. Uh, you keep Cloud <laughs> exactly the same, uh, and he just he wonders why everybody is singing, and and he's still very dour and sad, and nothing nothing the other other characters can sing can can cheer him up. Oh, poor Cloud. <laughs> that is sad. Um, but Yet fitting. Also in character, very much in character. Yes. Yeah. Audra, what do you think? I was thinking, um, well, Suikoden so 3 had a drama mm-hmm. troupe that you could actually join and have like characters act out plays and stuff. And oh, so I'd almost be like, they could just do a musical within a Suikoden game where that's <laughs> the same thing. And depending on which characters you pick for which roles, they could do phenomenally well or just be so entertainingly bad that the sets will fall over. And mm-hmm. yeah, that was my answer. I mean, the obvious one for me to say would probably be Yakuza, um, because it's borderline a musical already with the with the uh, variety of karaoke songs and things like that. But I'm going to go more traditional, and I'm also going to go for a Final Fantasy game. I think Final Fantasy V would make an excellent musical. Yes, X Death think- talking about wood and forest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you could have, uh, could have each party member choose their own genre of uh, of yeah. music that they would do. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just Audrey. You just made me flash back to that episode of Retro Encounter. Right, the entire thing was just me roasting X Death for being wood for like two hours. Um, yes, actually, you're right. That would be uh, that would be a show stopping number indeed. Um, but I think that Final Fantasy V is lightweight enough that with enough heavy moments in it that it would it would translate very well to the musical form because you could have like the big opening numbers you have the highs the lows uh you have a variety of characters like ferris obviously you know there could be like almost sea shanty-esque numbers uh you have the big the big death moments uh you have uh there you you have the spectacle that's demanded of broadway theater nowadays with like the dragons um i think that final fantasy 5 would be a pretty damn cool musical yes i think so too yeah well, anyway, I would like to thank both of you for coming on to talk about all of these games. Uh, there have been a there have been so many big games the last few. This has been a crazy summer. We're not done yet because I mean, Starfield is coming out uh, in a few weeks. Um, I uh, you know it, I I either expect I, I have to admit I expect Starfield either the reviews to either be very very good or to be so low they're going to clip through the world map. Um, but we'll see what happens there. Um, if you are enjoying these conversations and you'd like to hear more of these conversations, I highly recommend that you support us here at RPG Fan. 
uh, with uh, you can buy some of our stuff. So we've got a shop out now. It's at www.rpgfan.com slash shop. Uh, we sell all kinds of things, including our 25th anniversary merchandise. If you'd like to check some of that out, it's a great way to support us and support the site. If you'd like to support us here at Random Encounter, the best thing you could do is take a listen to some of the older episodes. I think that we've had a run of really, really good episodes here at Random Encounter, uh, including some really fun and stupid openings. And we, ju- we just had a lot of fun the last few uh, months talking about some of the biggest games of the year. So uh, give those a listen. Uh, we do have two other podcasts here on the site. We have Retro Encounter. Uh, so Solosi has been out for a few weeks, but Zach has ably picked up the slack. And I think that Zach is on the last few episodes before Solosi comes back. And uh, they're biggins. Uh, they are, it's a two-parter for Disco Elysium. So last week's Retro Encounter, or two weeks ago, Retro Encounter was part one of that. And part two comes out this Thursday. So if you like Disco Elysium, uh, I would give those a listen. And uh, these are episodes that I have not heard because I have not played Disco Elysium because it is on my backlog. And this is not a game that I want spoiled. But if you've played it, absolutely give it a listen. Uh, We also have Rhythm Encounter, which is RPG Fans Music Podcast. Uh, The last episode we did uh, last week was on dungeon music. And believe it or not, that's the first time there's actually been an episode on dungeon music on Rhythm Encounter. Uh, which is a little surprising because there's been a lot of episodes of Rhythm Encounter. Uh, and next week is going to be a super interesting one because it's going to be the very best of PlayStation 1 RPG music. So there are some seminal RPGs out for the PlayStation 1, the PSX, and uh, they're going to be talking about some of the best music that you can find on that console. Uh, if you'd like to get in contact with us here at Random Encounter, you can fire us off a message at podcast at rpgfan.com. I would absolutely love to hear from you. Uh, if you have any feedback about episodes, you have, have you want to talk to me about your favorite musical or why musicals are terrible, uh, please fire me off a message. Uh, if you'd like to send me an email to do the same, uh, you can do so at jlogan@rpgfan.com. You can also find me on Mastodon at johnologan at mastodon.social. Uh, I was on threads. Honestly, I've fallen off it as I think many, many people have just because it lacked so many basic features. Uh, Maybe I'll get back on it in a few weeks. Who knows? Uh, But I am not the only person on this podcast who has a media presence. Abe, where can we find you online? Uh, The best best way to find me is on Instagram. It's uh, Abe Kobolanski. Cool. And Audra, where can we find you online? Best way is through email, B at rpgfan.com. Ah, smart. Not on social media at all. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to share it with your friends to help us get the word out there. You can rate us on iTunes, your other podcast players of choice. Leave us a review. I'd love to read them. Uh, again, Abe, Audra, thank you so much for giving me your Friday evening and uh, talking to me about these games and obviously for also playing these games because there's a lot there. And uh, I really look forward to reading your review, Abe, Audra. Wonderful review of Stray Gods, as always. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead and yep. go have an adventure. <laughs> yes, yes, that's 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 what we try to do here at RPG Fan. We encourage adventure. Uh, and to all of you out there, I hope that you are going on an adventure of your own. And whatever you are playing, have fun. <laughs>